So we're going to finish John chapter 8 today. This is the third week on this chapter of 59 verses. And each week we have expounded upon the week before of what Jesus is saying when he meant that he is the light of the world. And as we read in John's gospel account, as Jesus talks about being this light of the world, it's not going out to the people that have never heard, but instead he uses these words for the people that should already know, for the people that should already have the answers and the understanding. And last week we talked about how um, Jesus was confronting people who were called unbelievers, even though they were in the midst of the church people, as we labeled them. They were known as unbelievers because Jesus said that their hearts were not where they should be, even though their words proclaimed one thing, their lives did not reflect that. So today, in true Jesus fashion, we are going to build on that understanding even more so. And before we read our passage uh, of scripture this morning, I want to ask you a question. And I want that question to set on your mind as we discuss the rest of John's 8th chapter this morning. question I want to ask you is, do we seek to be the people of the church or do we seek to be holy? Now that's something that we don't think is mutually exclusive. But I want you to think of that concept. Do we seek to be the people of the church? Or do we seek to be holy? Because what we're going to see and what we have been looking at is how Jesus was confronting the people of the church. But yet he was bringing up the fact that their lives were not holy. And today he is going to call them onto a higher purpose and a higher understanding of what it means to be a follower of God. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to read verse 31 through 59. I'm going to throw out that disclaimer again. What a joy it is that we get to read so many verses from God's book. Amen? It's good stuff. Verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I had heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you were imitating your real father. And they replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me, because I have come, from, come to you from God, and I am not here on my own, but yet he has sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. 
He was a murderer from the very beginning, and he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and of the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally can't believe me. Which of you can truly accuse me of sin? Since I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. And the people retorted, you Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said. I have no demon in me, for I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me, for he is the true judge. I tell you the truth that anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And the people said, Now we know that you're possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. So who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, If I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. And if I said otherwise, I would be as a great a liar as you are. But I do know him, and I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming, and he saw it and was glad. And the people said, You aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham even was, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So as you can see, Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, only builds on the animosity that is growing between him and the religious leaders of his day. And what we see here is that Jesus is pulling no punches and addressing something that I believe he is wanting them to hear, not for the sake of correcting them, just for the sake of correcting him. But I believe that Jesus is telling them those words so that they too can have the opportunity for repentance. Notice Jesus never spoke to anybody just for the sake of condemning them, but instead what he did is he would condemn the things that they were doing or the lifestyle that they had chose so that they might in turn receive repentance. J.D. Walt says of today's text, in this text we learn that it is possible to be a devout, committed, faithful adherent to a religion or faith, and be completely and utterly lost. Jesus was talking to Abraham's descendants, the insiders, the ones who chaired all the committees, the ones who taught Sunday school and who faithfully gave to the mission. These were the people who prayed, fasted, and gave to the poor. They knew, they revered, and recited all the great creeds of faith, and of course, they knew the scriptures. Well-meaning faith can keep us ensnared in sin if our pursuit of faith is not the pursuit of holiness in the person of Jesus Christ. So what we see in John's gospel account here is that John is recording the interaction of Jesus and the religious people to reveal the power of sin to deceive. We have this thought about sin that it's something that is easily recognizable. It's something that we can see from a long way off and we can be warned of it and therefore we can avoid it. But as John is showing us in this gospel account of Jesus and the religious people, sin is something that is very powerful that can come in and that can mislead us before we even truly understand that it is taking place. And also we are seeing that John is wanting the, real, the reader to realize that there is a freedom that is available 
when people truly seek Jesus Christ as the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Reality of it is, is the church is full of people every time the doors are open who come saying that they are pursuing Jesus Christ, but in reality, the pursuit of Jesus Christ is the furthest thing from the concentration of their thoughts and of their actions. There's a difference in what Jesus is saying from believing in the truth this has been seen with the eyes. Remember those crowds that saw Jesus, saw the things that he did and followed, but then when he asked them to give of themselves, said that they turned away and they followed no more. So John is wanting us to understand the difference between believing because we can see something and believing because our heart has experienced it. And that's what it comes down to when we think about the gospel message is we believe it because it is something that has happened in our heart. And Jesus is confronting a group of people who have not yet opened their heart to experience the message that Jesus brought. So as Jesus converses with these religious uh, leaders among the crowd, their initial response is to point out who they are according to their history. They want to bring up the fact that they are related to Abraham, and because they are related to Abraham, they have a foundation that says that they belong to God. But Jesus is pointing out that even despite them being descendants of Abraham, they don't seek to know God. And they don't seek to know God because they don't try to obey His commandments and the things that they do, the things that they do observe, they're doing this because they're pursuing what their tradition has told them without the understanding that it is meant to pursue holiness and fellowship with God. But instead, they are living into their heritage. For us as Methodists, it means that we would work very hard to be Methodist, but yet Jesus is not in the mix. The things that we do, we do so because we're Methodist, but not because Jesus has said to. We want to be a better Methodist, but yet we haven't really thought about growing in a relationship with Jesus. So even though these religious leaders were attempting to do what was right, remember they said the right things, they looked the part, they acted the part, even though they were attempting to do what is right, they fell short of living as God's children. The difference was the outcome that they had hoped for. Sin had deceived them that even though they acted in the name of God, their actions did not bring God glory or did not bring them closer to fellowship with Him. So do we as the church, is it possible that we as individuals do evil in God's name and not even realize it? Well-intentioned wrong. Back in the 70s and 80s, uh, the United States sent more missionaries than any other country in the world. And most of the times when they would send missionaries to these third world countries, the number one thing the missionaries tried to do in the attempts of getting these people to accept Jesus Christ is to change everything about their culture and everything about them to look more like the missionaries who had gone to see them. So they would go to these third world countries in Africa and South America uh, where people had lived a certain way for thousands of years, had dressed a certain way for thousands of years, and immediately they tried to go in and tell them, well, you're not dressing right, well, you're not acting right, well, you're not doing right. These are the things that God wants you to do. They had good intentions, but in the reality of it, 
their success was measured by how the people looked in their own eyes. Do you see what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders? Is he's saying that you worry more about the things that you can see instead of the things that you are allowing me to do. And the reality of it is, is that's how a lot of us approach our faith. Is we try to do things and we try to make things happen in our lives so that we can see ourselves or so that we can put out an image for other people to see of us and that's how we mark our success. That's what a church person does is they want to look like the people that belong to the church and with the church. But Jesus said there's a difference. It goes even one step further than that. Jesus' words to the religious leaders pointed at their hearts. What we hope the outcome be is what the evidence of whose glory we truly seek. So it comes down to the outcome. What is the outcome of your pursuit of the church life? What is the outcome when you open your Bible, when you study the things that God says to do, when you study the way that a person says to be? Is your outcome to become that person because the Bible says to do it? Or is the outcome to become that person so that you might know Jesus Christ more? It seems like it's not even... Stop. It seems like it's not even that big of a difference, but Jesus tells us that it is all the difference of the world. It is the difference between a disciple and, and between a church person. A disciple is someone who seeks to keep the words of God as a way of life. They do this because they understand that as they grow closer to knowledge of God, then their relationship with Jesus Christ, then the relationship with God will grow. And Jesus says here in this passage that as a disciple of his, it will be the same as the person who pursues the Father. So the, the Pharisees are saying, you know, we are God's children, we are Abraham's descendants, and God is our Father. And Jesus said, if God were truly your Father, then you would receive the message that I am telling you. If God were truly your father, you would hear my words and instead of being obstinate, instead of getting mad and angry, you would hear these words and you would realize that they are the words of God that are coming to you, that are calling you to repentance and belief. But yet the Pharisees berated and mocked Jesus because he looked different than this thing that they had constructed. This religion that they had built for themselves was one that was centered on their own interests. Everything that they did had a payout for them. The way that they looked would earn them respect from their peers. The way that they spoke would make them be seen by people around them as wise and learned people. And with that came authority. With that came the ability to have people listen to what you had to say. And that is what the goal was for each of these religious leaders. But Jesus was saying that a genuine believer in God's word is someone who realizes that it's not just about the knowledge of the things of Jesus that gives eternal life. That's a, that's a works-based understanding of salvation. The more you know, like that old uh, NBC thing, the more you know, I don't know, if you, it's from the 80s, sorry. Somebody got it. It's not just about what you know. You can have all the answers, but if you are not putting them in the right place, it doesn't matter. Let's use an example we all know. 
you're driving through the field and your tractor breaks down. You can have all the knowledge on how to fix your tractor, but if you don't put it into action, what happens? You're still stuck in the field, am I right? And that is what Jesus is pointing out for these religious leaders is saying, you've done good on building up the things that you know. You've done good building up your knowledge. You've been diligent about learning the things about God, but you're not putting it into action. And because you're not putting it into action, it reveals that you are truly not pursuing Jesus Christ. So a genuine believer is someone who realizes that it's not about the knowledge of the things of Jesus Christ that gives eternal life, but instead it is the pursuit of knowing Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't say, I know the way, I know the truth, I know the life. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So the more we know about Christ, the more that we are able to recognize him, the more we can see him. And then also, the more we can see the things that do not reflect his character, and therefore, avoid them. That's an important thing that we need to understand. The more that we know of Jesus, the more we recognize and are able to avoid the things that are not of Jesus. So the Pharisees had become so accustomed to pursuing anything that their hearts desired, and as a result of this, they cared more for traditions than they did for the purpose that their traditions meant to preserve. They paid more attention to the actions and making sure that the actions looked the way they were supposed to look in order to gain approval than the purpose of doing those things. So Jesus told them that their tradition, their being descendants of Abraham, is not what gave them their salvation. For us, this can translate into the preservation of sacred cows for the sake of maintaining what we want. I think one of the best books I was ever given was a book that said, Sacred Cows Make Gourmet Burgers. You know those things that you have to hold in your life. It is a staple of American society and that if it goes away, the whole world is going to fall apart. It's one of those things. Jesus is saying, be careful that those things don't become your idol. Even though they are meant to be things of God, even though they are meant for you to be able to worship God, make sure that those things don't become your idol so much for the sake that you miss Jesus Christ. So their end goal was not holiness. Their end goal was not God's glory. Sometimes this can translate into the belief that having our names on the church membership role is sufficient to secure our place in heaven. I sometimes think about what it's going to be like on that day when people are getting into heaven and they go, well, my name is in the such and such and the so and so. And whoever's at the gate, it's supposed to be St. Peter's, what all the stories say, is going to go, do, do I look like a Farm Bureau agent? Do, do I look like I've got your insurance policy on file? I, I, I see that, and I think in reality, that's how a lot of us pursue Christ, is that once we have said that sinner's prayer, once we have done the baptism thing, uh, we think we're good to go, and we're taught that faith alone, so as long as we make the statement that I believe, then we're covered and we're good to go. But as we're seeing in this passage, that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said that true belief comes with a response, that something will be done if you believe. The, uh, it can be the deception that attendance without action is the acceptable response to Jesus' call to obey. 
As we've talked about before, there's nowhere in Scripture where you will find Jesus says, come to me and we'll let it be. There's that Beatles reference again. He never says that. But Jesus says, come to me and then go. To believe and to repent. Repent is a word of action. It's not a, a word of state. It is a word of constant action. Meaning that we are continually trading in the things of the world, the things of our former person, for the things of God. Our former purpose for the purpose of God. Our former understanding of our call for the new understanding that Jesus has given us. So it is an active response. So anything we do, even if it's in the name of God, that is done with a mindset or a goal that is determined and different from the goal that Jesus Christ has expressed is done, as Jesus would say in verse 44, through the inspiration or the influence of Satan. Does anybody in here want to be guilty of doing anything through the influence of Satan? Absolutely not. And the idea of being able to do something uh, in the church life but still be done through the inspiration of Satan is a scary thing to think about. But Jesus said that is the reality of where we live. Is that if God is not our goal, if our pursuit of Jesus Christ is not our goal, if holiness is not our goal, then the only source of inspiration we are working from is that which is given by Satan. That's scary stuff to think about. What Jesus is saying is that you can't just simply exist if you are a true believer because the words that I bring bring forth life. And if you are truly alive, you will not function as though you are still dead, but something will happen that will cause you to understand that you are to pursue something. You are to pursue holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. You are to pursue God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And because of that, we are going to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. If we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, if our neighbor is dangling from a bridge and the rope is untwining as they're hanging, I don't know the word for that, uh, it's coming apart as they're hanging there, if we truly love ourselves, we're going to want somebody to grab us before the rope breaks, right? So Jesus is saying you would grab your neighbor before their rope breaks, which would require you to act. Am I right? So if our actions are not set for the sake of the things that Jesus has said, then we have misunderstood the call of Christ. That is what Jesus is telling the religious leaders here. That is what John is wanting you and I and whoever reads his gospel to understand, that Jesus is the light of the world who has come to the world to do something and not just simply to be. So we are not called to be church people. We are not called to come to church on Sunday morning for our weekly time with God. We are not called to Tuesday night Bible study. We are not called to be church people, but instead we are called to be the church. What is the Great Commission? To go, to make disciples, to baptize people, to train people in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So if we are not worshiping God, then we are not the church. If we come to church for any other purpose than to worship God, 
then we are not acting as the church. If we are not speaking the name of Jesus Christ, then we are not the church. This is both an individual and a group thing. If we are not speaking the name of Jesus Christ when we are together, when we are out among people, then we are not acting as the church. And if we are not leading people to believe and to repent, then we are not acting as the church. The love and the pursuit of Jesus Christ must be the motivation for everyday living. And if we truly seek to love Him, then we will seek that others might know Him. If there is no joyful intent for us in seeking or serving God, then our only goal, as Jesus says, must be to serve ourselves. And this is the deception that Jesus says has overtaken the church people. In their complacency, they still claim to be children of God. But as Jesus points out, a child of God first hears the word of God, second believes the word of God, and thirdly responds through obeying. So are you making disciples? Are we making disciples? If we're not actively doing so, are we truly obeying the words of Christ? Or are we only deceiving ourselves into a false understanding? Pursuance of God, pursuance, that's a legal term, is evidenced by the response to God's word. It calls us to action, to pursue holiness, to grow in the knowledge and the person of Jesus Christ. And only then is the Holy Spirit able to open our eyes. Jesus told the Pharisees, you can't hear, you can't understand because you're not operating and working through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you first must be able to recognize the truth when it is spoken. So the conclusion of the eighth chapter of John's gospel is this. It is a message for church people in the understanding that self-righteousness is a fatal thing that it is very easy for sin to deceive us into believing that we are doing what we are supposed to be doing, we are acting the way we're supposed to act, we are living the way that we are supposed to be living without ever having to pursue Jesus, without ever having to take up this call to pursue holiness. So we cannot afford to be involved or associated with the church solely for the sake of a future security or for the mindset of a future security. But the people of God look, act, and live differently than the world around them. And they stand apart just as Christ stood apart. They take up the call to be holy for He is holy. True disciples don't seek glory for their own selves or preservation for their own sake, but instead they seek to pour themselves out for the sake of God's worship and so that other people may know Jesus Christ. To call oneself a child of God yet cling to a fragile association through tradition, as we see through the Pharisees, or to avoid obeying God's word as a misled understanding of what Jesus said a true believer will be. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Before Abraham even was, I am. Before any tradition you can think of that is important, Jesus said, I was there first. I come for the sake of bringing glory to God alone and apart from me, apart from a life in me, you were deceived. Sin has taken control over your heart. So Jesus must be our destination, not one of many 
not 15 minutes a day in the midst of a busy schedule, but Jesus must be our destination and our goal for the entirety of all things that we do. So my challenge for you is this. At the beginning of the year, I gave you a list of things that we are to pursue this year, that I want us to be intentional about making happen and bringing into the life of our church. And the first one is this, to seek Jesus through personal transformation. If you know there's something in your life that does not belong there, you are seeking to get that out of the way. If your schedule does not allow you to pursue God or consumes you to where God is an afterthought, then to work on your schedule to where Jesus becomes your number one priority. As a church, to look for and to facilitate the moving of God. When we come to church, do we expect God to do anything? Or did we do it because we're supposed to do it? Or do we do it because we actually have time to do it this week? But when we come to church as God's people, we pursue God and we look and we expect and we facilitate for God to do something. And we seek to build new relationships for the sake of sharing the gospel. We understand our goal is to reach our community with the news of Jesus in a real and tangible way. We understand that the purpose of gathering together is to work for the restoration of lives. And we live for a kingdom impact in all we do. So that is my challenge for you as we seek to be the church this week. To pursue Christ in everything that you do as the number one purpose for your existence. And that whatever you do, you do so for the sake of bringing God glory. Because if we are truly convinced... As Jesus says, if we are truly believed, then we will respond. We will respond with joy and excitement, expecting God to do something.